When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Hello and welcome to Commons People, the Huffington Post politics podcast with me, Owen Bennett, Ned Simons, Martha Gill and Paul War. This week we'll be talking about David Cameron upping and leaving, a PMQ's win for Jeremy Corbyn, the latest Labour leadership turmoils, and does UKIP have a future? But let's kick off with the news that David Cameron decided he'd just had enough of everything this week, and he will be... uh, He's already left, in fact, the House of Commons. Here is a clip of him giving his reason why. With modern politics, with the circumstances of my resignation, it isn't really possible to be a proper backbench MP as a former Prime Minister. I think everything you do will become a big distraction and a big diversion from what the government needs to do for our country. Rumours were abound that David Cameron didn't agree with Theresa May's policies on grammar schools. What everyone was really focused on with was what would his legacy be? Here is Ken Clark talking about that. Cameron was a, deli- uh, was a delightful man to work with when he was Prime Minister. He's a very bright, uh, very good, public-spirited man. And I think the House of Commons is weaker when former Prime Ministers like him no longer contribute to its work. So I, I regret him going and uh, I wish him well. He obviously decided to, he's young enough to have a, a different interest in life uh, and we'll miss him when he's gone. So it seems that uh, Brexit is going to be what everyone remembers Cameron for, accidentally taking us out of the European Union. I did tweet that and I got a tweet saying, I don't think 17.6 million people voting for Exit is accidental, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but I think the point is that David Cameron didn't want this to happen and this is going to be what he's going to be remembered for, right? Well, he certainly didn't want it to happen. I mean, you know, he campaigned his damnedest to make sure it didn't happen, and that campaign was a a failure, ultimately. I mean, he lost the referendum campaign. And what was always weird was why you'd hold a referendum if you then approach that referendum by saying... If we leave Europe, the, the world will end as we know it. You know, the, the ISIS will be on the march. There'll be, you know, there'll be deaths across Europe and the economy is going to tank. I mean, if, if that was all true and he really genuinely believed it, why have it in the first place? He never answered that question in the referendum campaign. And the answer is simple. And it's kind of obvious and tragic at the same time, which is that he was bounced into it by a panic over UKIP in 2013 and a panic amongst his backbenchers. And he never th- kind of thought he would win the election. So he included it in the, refer- in, in the Tory manifesto thinking he might have a Lib Dem coalition. Now, we kind of all know that stuff, but it doesn't mean it's not true. Um, it's funny because it seems like David Cameron is a man who was 
consistently surprised by his own success until he failed. He didn't plan <laughs> to win the election. He didn't realise this, this would work. Then he won the election, didn't mean to. And then, he, oh, it was a referendum coming. Oh, I'm sure. I'll just lock this one out. Oh, oh no. That, oh, dear. <laughs> but he's got a record of winging it, obviously, throughout his whole career. And as I wrote this week, you know, he's a, he's a crammer. He's a very, very good crammer. And this is one of his biggest problems, is that he is great on the tactics, on the narrow focus. Give him a brief, he'll read it, and he'll deliver a fantastic speech or in the House of Commons on Hillsborough or whatever. Or he'll, if you get him to focus on one policy, that's fine. But in terms of strategic vision, this is what Labour failed to actually punch him hard enough on over the last sort of 10 years. On a strategic vision, there's not a lot there. And that was shown in spades on Brexit. I mean, I don't know. I mean, when he when he joined, when he became leader, um, the the Conservative Party were in a in a state they they didn't appeal to anyone other than you know people sort of the elderly and people who uh, sort of at the edges, uh, very much at the edges of the debate. But in terms of strategic vision, he was the one who realised that uh, the Conservatives needed to embrace kind of social progress, uh, you know, brought in gay marriage. His legacy really should be that he kind of bought brought the Conservatives back from the brink. Well, uh, there is an element of that, but and, and certainly he realised what every political leader kind of ultimately realises, which is that the centre is the place you win. That's fine, but that's not... Well, kind the Corbynistas will be writing in but, as we speak. <laughs> well, they're redefining the centre, yeah. they'll tell you. But, you know, that's that's not really a strategic vision. I mean, by vision, I mean, you know, what he wants to do with the country once he's got it. And it's a, it seemed as though there was a series of sort of tactical moves. I mean, we've been seeing in, in Libya this week when his reputation has again been trashed, that that was... None of it was about strategy. All of it was about tactics. It's, it's funny, isn't it? Because when, as Martha said, David Cameron tried to rebrand the Conservatives, one of the things which David Cameron and the people around him, including Michael Gove, thought, we need to get away from Europe. If we keep banging about Europe, yeah. we'll never get into power. And it's the thing that's ultimately destroyed him. It's, it's this it's kind of Greek tragedy, isn't it? Well, be, he'll be remembered fondly for it by the 52% of uh, Brexit voters who, who voted us out. People have got, who've got books out about it. <laughs> <laughs> What? Sorry. Well, what, yeah, would the, yeah, what, what would the title of those books be? Uh, Probably just the Brexit Club, October the 6th. But, uh, but yeah, I think it's funny that Europe ultimately ended up dominating it. And, and Paul mentioned there briefly about Libya as well. But Ned, what are you going to do? I was just going to say, I think, I mean, you're right, that Brexit will be what he's remembered for. But just, I mean, I think the gay marriage thing is interesting because he will be remembered for that by a lot of gay people, but a lot of non-gay people as well. And it's interesting that with Labour in such a mess and the Conservative Party obviously looks like going to be in power for quite a long time, there was this feeling at the time of gay marriage, well, it was going to happen anyway. It, didn't, it was kind of coincidence that he was in power when it went through because everyone's sort of liberal now. I think I don't see Theresa May as a Prime Minister as someone that would have introduced it and with Labour not being in power, let's say, for possibly another five, ten years. I think that is... You know, it's amongst lots of policies. That is something he should be remembered that's for really, introducing. Really I suspect point. actually she would have introduced it because okay. she, she like as with modern slavery, Theresa May is desperate to have this hinterland, a sort of mm. social reforming stuff. And don't forget, she's putting all that right at the heart of her own premiership. This idea of you know being on the side of the working man, etc., the working poor. So, and I suspect on some of the culture wars, she, she, although outwardly appears not to be sort of a Cameroon. Actually, she's got a lot of sympathy for that. And I think FGM, other mm. things that she's done reforms on, sort of 
suggest that she would have done that. The thing about Cameron, though, is ultimately why this week? And, yeah, that's exactly and, right. You yeah. know, why yeah. this week? And, and that's what I mean about him not thinking things through. Is it because he, he thought there's still a leadership election going on? Remember, when he stood down, he said, I want a new leader in place for the Conservative yeah. Conference in a few He'd weeks' time. He obviously planned a legacy tour, a final tour. He wanted to go out like Blair and sort of, you know, name-checking things like gay marriage, doing all the positive spin. But, you know, as soon as you lost that referendum... You should have immediately put in place a sort of exit strategy, which you could then have fast-tracked if things did go wrong in the leadership. No one could have really predicted Boris being knifed by Gove. Of course not. <laughs> but, Boris, but, yeah. but once you've... It was about preparing for Brexit, and he didn't not just prepare the country, he didn't prepare himself and his own party. I mean, the fact that he's got this massive office in the House of Commons now, if you, if you honestly, you should go up and see it. It's an enormous suite of rooms over the entrance to St now. Stephen's. No, he's got people in there still, and it's four MPs offices all merged together because he insisted he needed this big office in the Commons. Now that's only in the summer a few weeks ago so he's obviously over the summer holiday had a change of heart. There was a lovely story this week by his former biographer James Hanning saying that actually one of the things that swung it was he, he found that in the, on his summer holiday his phone just wasn't buzzing enough in other words he wasn't wanted anymore yeah. and that's the brutal reality well, Dave, of all former Dave, politicians. Dave, you're listening. Always welcome Commons people Dave. <laughs> if you want to come on. Yeah, I mean, with the timing of it, he's, it seemed, he's, he's had to sort of cement his legacy at the moment where it's all being dismantled uh, by Theresa May, kind of removing Rona Fairhead, his supposed crony from the BBC, getting rid of his friends, uh, or at least causing big division between the Cameroons and, and the rest of the party uh, over grammar schools. Um, you know, putting Hinkley Point is going ahead, but but a big question mark was put um, over that. So uh, well, it'd be interesting to see party conference, won't it? I mean, there's some talk, some talk that he wanted or his people wanted a slot for him, a sort of farewell, a proper farewell. Um, and but you know, really, if you're Theresa May, do you want any David Cameron yeah. on on the and platform? It, it's a bit it's... like Ted Heath coming back and Thatcher in that famous um, William Hague uh, Tory conference. You just think, wow. Are you going to tell the anecdote? No, no, about no, no, the chairs? no, no. Okay. no. <laughs> and she wouldn't want that. Really I think it's, what's interesting is how quickly he's sort of forgotten. I mean, how quickly, you know, David Cameron, uh, David Cameron dominating, you know, Tory politics, Prime Minister for such a long time. And within almost a couple of days, it's who? Doesn't matter anymore. It's yeah. kind of brutal, but interesting how quickly we forget um, leaders and politicians. Well, you say that. But. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Do we feel a quiz coming there on? There is a quiz coming on. Great. I'm going to give you some names of, of, of uh, former Prime Ministers. And you need to tell me how long they stayed in Parliament for after they stood down as Prime Minister or were voted out of Downing Street. Okay. Does that make sense? And what's the two options? The there nice... are no two options. You just oh, got to... Owen. You've got to base it on like... Okay, I'll give you two. I'll make Come up. On. Okay, right. So Cameron lasted two months, right? Yeah. So how long did... Uh, how long did... <laughs> how Macmillan last? So is it longer or shorter? Well, is they're it, all pretty it, much longer. It, it, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but how long did he last? Okay, so how long did so Harry... guess, we've got to guess how long. Yeah, how long did he did Harry Millen, former Prime Minister, stay on the back benches for after retiring Ooh. as Prime Minister? Well, wasn't he poorly? So, I, I no I, idea. I Do you even know how Harry Millen is? Um, two years. I don't right. know. I've made an, I've no two idea. years. All right, it's not a bad shout, Paul. Eighteen months. Martha. Um, twenty months. <laughs> <laughs> you were going to say 20 years, weren't you? It was one year. Oh, there you go. You oh, stood down at 63, yeah. didn't stand again in 64. Uh, Anthony Eden. Um, Ooh, he yeah. probably lasted a bit longer. Oh, uh, uh, three years. Three years. 56 to Martha. 16. Um, uh, 
three and a half years. Three and a half years. <laughs> <laughs> you're playing a lot at home. I, I, mm, Come on, Paul. Eight years. <laughs> no. One day. Ah. The day after he resigned as Prime Minister, he was made uh, one of the... You told us they were here. all longer. I said Cam. most of them. And then he left the same day, in, uh, on January 11th, the day after... Um, when he stood down. Did so he up here or something? Uh, no, I don't think he did, actually. Oh, okay. uh, Clement Attlee. It's not buzzing, Ooh. is it, this week? It's, uh, <laughs> Clement Attlee. Um, uh, six months. Six months? Yeah. Uh, what was that? A year. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, one year. Four years. Ah. Uh, so there we are. <laughs> and uh, let's, let's... Winston Churchill? Yeah, Winston Churchill. Go on, then. Wasn't it? He was eight years or something, wasn't he? He was quite a long He's time. He's saying eight. Paul's saying eight. Um, I'm going to say five. Seven? Nine years. Ah, close. <laughs> Are we bored of this yet? Do you want to do the rest? Yes. Or uh, Callahan? Callahan, that would have been... Uh, Ooh. Yeah. Uh, three months. James, don't be stupid, because he got voted as... Oh, that's I, I just, mate, disqualified. I'm just, I'm just moving along, well. you know? Was he around for another five years? I don't know. He was around for another, Martha? Um, four years. Eight years. Oh. Uh-huh. All right. Uh, he did become a peer. And let's do the final one, Margaret Thatcher. Ooh. Oh, she was, that was two. So that was quite long. 18, 18 months. Yeah. And the final, final one, Ted Heath. Ooh, he lasted for quite a he long did. time. It's called the longest sulk in history. Ah. So we're talking about 74 until... Um, um, what, nine... I, I, Ned, ten. Ten. <laughs> 2001. 2001. So, what, 20 years? 26 years. Well done, Paul. 2001, you stood down. That was this week's quiz. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, he's great, isn't he? All right, then, anyway. I've heard better. So, from. <laughs> right? Anyway, right. let's on move on. It. Speaking of things that went slightly better this week, PMQs. Let's have a little clip of Jeremy Corbyn destroying Theresa May. The two things the Prime Minister and I have in common is we can both remember the 1950s and we can both remember going to a grammar school. My point is simply this. Every child, every child should have the best possible education they can have. We don't need and never should divide children at the age of 11, a life-changing division where the majority end up losing out. The the right honourable gentleman is right that what we're looking and consulting on is a diversity of provision in education. We want to make sure that all grammar schools actually do uh, the job that we believe is important, which is providing opportunities for a wide range of pupils. And there are many examples across the country of different ways in which that's done through selective education. But he talks about the education, good education for every child. That is exactly what our policy is about. There are 1.25, one and a quarter million children today who are in schools that are not good or outstanding. Trust me, it might not look it from the clip, but on the scale of Jeremy Corbyn's PNQ's performance, this was like... But seriously, I've never seen the journalists walking out the gallery in a daze like, my God, remember, we were there the day that Jeremy Corbyn beat Theresa May. At PMQs, Ned. Why was this? What did he do that was so well, good? I think that's what was so good about it was it wasn't just that Theresa May was really bad, which can happen. It was that Corbyn was actually quite good because I think you can't underestimate how in PMQs Corbyn could still mess it up, even if he's opposing someone who's not doing it right. What he did was he picked a subject which united the Labour benches, which check, which, which 
rarely ever happens now. He's stuck to the same topic for all the questions, which Check. he usually kind of darts around, tries to pick different ones. Um, and they're, they're kind of he, he followed up with what she was saying as well. And often she would say stuff, or Cameron would say stuff, and he just sort of it's like it didn't happen. Hmm. So I just thought he was he was good. And then once you're right, I'm just watching it. You thought this is you're, you're doing this right. So Martha, you were slightly confused by Theresa May's tactics. In fact, well, she's been at PMQs pretty much all the time. Yeah, she doesn't seem to be playing to her strengths at the moment, does she? At PMQs, she's uh, she's sort of known for being a sort of slow, and steady. Uh, Prime Minister so far, and uh, and uh, sort of considering the facts, making careful, slow decisions. Uh, but uh, she sort of decided to be a lot more quippy at, at PMQs, kind of like a, a public school style debater. And there she said, a grammar, grammar school, school girl, girl. trying to be public school style <laughs> debating. Yeah, it was a bit, a bit David Cameron light, wasn't it? I mean, yeah. uh, without the finesse and without the decent gag writer. I mean, second week on the trot, really lame gags. You know, if you're going to try that, you've got to really land those those punches. And, you know, she's not comfortable doing that sort of theatre at all. It worked kind of. She's had a honeymoon period. A lot of the media have given her an easy ride, very, very easy mm. ride. That may well end post-grammar schools. Certainly on the back benches, Tory back benches, the jitters were obvious. They were quiet, weren't they? Were they? Really I've never quiet. seen that quiet I mean, for a long time. they were desperate to cheer her absolutely, on. Absolutely, absolutely. And that was fascinating. Just on her jokes as well, I think it, it's almost as if she's got the same joke writer as Cameron, but she's just much worse at telling them. Mm. And you can see her whining up to the prepared gag yeah. was so far away. Yeah. Kind of, I think I made a cup of tea in the time between you when she yeah. started flagged it was going to happen. It's really yeah. awkward and she needs to get a lot better at that. He wants, if she's he wants make minds without minors. I, d I didn't quite get that. Um, he, what? Who, what? She said he wants minds without minors, boats without sailors, and you think, oh, what? Where, where's this going? <laughs> it, it was just, and like you said, Nelly, you know, there's this thing, and it's the same thing that Corbyn's got in the way. It's not reacting to, to what's actually happening. She might have all these wonderful jokes there, which are on the proviso that Corbyn set you up. If you haven't been set up for them, you just come out of them. It just looks really, really odd and really stage managed. And, Burko kind of had a little bit of a dig at them both because he sort of said, you know, this is taking far too long. Mm. You know, he was addressing his comments Her to the whole house. Very long. But it was sort I think he was kind of getting there at Theresa May as well. But what I thought was interesting was the Labour benches were really getting behind him. A, because grammar schools is an issue they can all unite behind. And also, is there a sense that if he is going to be re-elected, that some of them might want to sort of perhaps come back into his team and now's a good time to be Listen, showing There's a bit of that, definitely. But also, I think... One Labour MP said to me, look, she is so beatable, this woman, hmm. if only we had the right person. Now, given that they're not going to get the person they want after um, September the 24th, they're going to have to try and create the right person by helping Corbyn at PMQs and giving them as much attack uh, lines as they can and having a, a much bigger, better operation at PMQs and actually having the PLP interact with the leader's office, something that's just never happened. So if he drops the ball, for example, in PMQs and, and can't ask everything that he wants, say he does all six and one subject, but there's another really burning subject, normally you coordinate with your backbenchers and you let them pile in. There's been none of that so yeah. far, but there may be that after he, he gets re-elected. But I mean, yeah, I, I mean, at the moment, uh, it doesn't really matter how many bad PMQs Theresa May has, does it really? No. It doesn't matter what her performances are like. It doesn't matter that she's she's put through possibly the worst policy in terms of uniting Labour and most of the Tories <laughs> together against her and her, her, her ban because, you know, Tories have so much political capital at the moment compared to Labour. They do in the country and lots of the polls show that. There's no question about that. And let's just, moving that on to the Labour leadership, um, the debate, last night on Sky on Wednesday night between uh, Jeremy Corbyn and Owen Smith. I didn't watch it because I was watching Spurs get being in Wembley. But I did catch up on the highlights today. And um, this seems like a bit of a highlight to me. And it was someone talking about how much uh, people hate Tony Blair. 
I'm just so angry at what the rest of the Labour Party are doing to Jeremy Corbyn. Yeah. I think they're cowards. <laughs> I think they're cowards. They're old Blairites. Everybody hates Tony Blair. And uh, this was Owen Smith's reaction to that. All, all I would say is, herein lies part of the problem we've got in the party right now, that we've become so deeply divided. Because I don't agree with you that everybody hates Tony Blair. And I don't agree with you that... Tony Blair didn't do much for this country. I think the reality is a minimum wage, trebling spending on the NHS, introducing sure start, paternity rights, maternity rights, making sure that we had an Equalities Act, a Human Rights Act in this country. You know, these were massive steps forward for Britain. It struck me as all that Jeremy Corbyn didn't jump in the game. We don't all hate Tony Blair. I don't know why that it struck was, me as odd, but... It was very Smith that owned Smith. His reaction, um, I was quite struck. He didn't make a big defence of Tony Blair. He defended things like Sure Start, but then again, Corbyn had quite a smart line. He said, look, whenever I rebelled, you know, I, I rebelled on things I believe in, things like Trident and Iraq. He said, but I did support a Labour government on Sure Start, on more investment in the NHS, etc., etc." So it was quite shrewd of Corbyn. He's not done that before. A Corbyn-style defence of some bits of new Labour by trying to reappropriate them as, as Labour Labour. I thought that was interesting, but Martha watched the debate. Yeah, Martha, what did you make of it? I mean, did we, has this leadership contest been useful in any sense for anybody? Has it been useful for Corbyn? Has it been useful for Smith? Has it been useful for the rebels? Useful for the membership? Or has it just all been a complete waste of time? Has anyone come out of this stronger? Well, we all know that, that, that Corbyn is very likely to win. Uh, so, and what's happened during this campaign seems to be um, a lot of kind of rather nasty sort of a nasty underbelly to the Labour Party has been kind of exposed on both sides there have been accusations of sort of social media abuse uh, it's divided the Labour Party um, uh, sort of in a way that that seems kind of like they won't like they won't united again I, I can't see that it's done them much good at all I think if we're if presuming Corbyn wins, which I think we expect him to, I think whilst he probably didn't want the challenge to happen, I think he'll come out of it strengthened because I don't think it'd be quite hard for the moderates, or you know, which is basically the rest of the PRP, to mount another challenge against him soon. I don't know if you guys agree, but I think they because they thought there was going to be a general election really soon, they moved too quickly. If there's not a general election really soon, I think it means Corbyn's going to be in place now, definitely, probably till 2020. But do you not think this is really put? The, the sort of tensions there are in the Labour Party now between the PLP and the membership, the, the split, right? Yeah, Basically. absolutely. Has it not put that really front and centre in the general public's mind now? Oh, yeah, I mean, it's it not... Oh, I don't think so it's... Is that not a bad thing? Well, I don't think it's helped Corbyn win the general election particularly, and I don't think it's helped Labour in any way, but in talking just internally within the party, I suspect Corbyn comes out of this, as, again, assuming he wins, um, strengthened the, than he was perhaps a few months ago. Uh, before the, the coup was launched. What, what it's done is it's brought to a logical conclusion the, the whole system of putting the members first. It's This is the logical conclusion of what Ed Miliband started all that time ago and no one really knew what he was doing. And at the time, believe it or not, Tony Blair rang up, this is no word of a lie, rang up uh, Miliband's office and congratulated him on doing this full member, one member, one vote finally and saying, I would have never had the balls to do it. Um, and yet, look what's happened. By unleashing this sort of direct democracy, the logical cl conclusion is that in a way, yes, there was going to be a, a coup attempt by the Labour MPs to try and hold on and claw back a bit of power. But equally, yes, the Corbyn was going to win because of the structure of the system. And, you know, he's, he's unbeatable on, on the current terms in the current Labour Party. But there was a backstop to this system. And that backstop was you had to secure a number of MEP, MPs rather to back you. Yeah. 
and they shot themselves. I know this is going back over a year now, but when it comes down to it, people can have a go at the system. But there was an internal backstop, which was making sure that all the people who stood had the, had the support of a sufficient number of the PLP. Yeah. And a lot of people decided we need to broaden the debate. People like Sadiq Khan. Yeah. So they're the ones. Frankfield too. Yeah. You know, let's, let's have you know a broad Margaret, Margaret Beckett was another yeah, one. Exactly. So really, the people were having a go at Miliband, but he, you know, for whatever reason, but he did put in a backstop. Yeah, well, he did, but I think that backstop may well change as well as time goes on. You it wasn't see... a backstop, it was a pre-distribution. <laughs> it was like a front stop. Yeah. It was before Miliband they realised what would happen. But I think, you know, the, the, the left know that that backstop may have to go, so they may reduce that to 5% of the PLP. This uh, leads us nicely on to uh, Martha's Musings. This is, oh. the, this is something which Martha's been thinking about during yeah. the week, isn't also, it, Martha? This so is, just, is just, this just a new regular feature? Just a new regular feature, yeah. Martha's musing to just read it out because I mean you've written it anyway I'm so. going to read it out yeah I'm, I'm mayor of Um is this what you used to do with Graham where you just write something <laughs> rude and get him to read it out <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about I'm just going to read this out well you wrote it so just read it since Keir Hardy became Labour's first MP in 1906 there have been 21 permanent or acting leaders of the party However, not a single one has been called Owen. Therefore, my musing this week is why is Labour so clearly pre- so prejudiced against people called Owen? Good question. Why are they so prejudiced against people called Owen? Let us know. Send us your emails. Yeah. Um, is it some Welsh thing? It must know. be a Welsh thing. Disgraceful. Um, anyway, so obviously Labour are, are doing their leadership thing, which is going to be ending in a few weeks. But ending tomorrow, Friday, is UKIP's leadership contest. The race to succeed Nigel Farage has not been particularly exhilarating. The, the main sort of bit that's come out of it is that Diane James, who is the favourite, decided not to attend any hustings. Here are uh, Bill Etheridge and Philip Broughton, who are two other leadership contenders discussing her decision not to attend the hustings. Um, as I understand it, Diane's cam- t- campaign team have decided that she's better um, distancing herself from us and doing her own thing. I think it's quite an insult to the membership and totally anti-democratic personally. I think Diane is disrespecting the members by not coming to these events. You know, I like Diane, I get on very well with Diane, I think she's a great person, but I think it would be better if she was here. And here is Diane James giving her own justification for why she was running her own events. I'm appealing to my members and my activists to come and hear what I've got to say, put me on the spot with questions, and if that's not actually being a team player and showing leadership, I really don't know what is. So tomorrow we will find out the person who's going to succeed Nigel Farage. Who's going to win? It's going to be Diane James. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> put, put your house on it. <laughs> I think the, the, the other person who could possibly defeat her is Lisa Duffy. Lisa Duffy is the woman that no one's ever heard of but was endorsed by Suzanne Evans, who's the one which Farage mm. sacked every couple of weeks for... You're losing me now. ...increasingly spurious reasons. <laughs> the reason why Lisa Duffy could win is because Lisa Duffy is a kind of Tom Watson figure in the party in the sense that she was always helping out of by-elections, not just the ones which they won in Rochester, but, yeah, but also she helps out the ones they lost. As a result, she had lots of local activists mm. who had the vote, so she can ring them up and call in some favours, all that kind of stuff. And under the first-past-the-post election system they've got, if, say, 25% of the people really don't like Suzanne Evans, therefore aren't going to back Lisa Duffy, if they don't all go behind one other figure and that vote gets distributed, then the people that do like... Suzanne Evans, my guess. I three. love that it's first past the post, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> but I think Dan James is still going to win. But the party itself is, I mean, it's thrown up massive splits in the party over direction, 
over rhetoric, over policy. It's a new kit, that's... I know. Uh, it, but it, the interesting thing is, I having a woman leader may well help UKIP, though, mightn't it? I mean, she'll have a softer tone. She'll certainly... Um, she's not strident, from what I've seen of Diane James. She no. tends quite reasonable, um, <laughs> like walks and talks like a normal human being. So, Lives in France. You know, does she? Yeah. Second home or first I home? I think it's her second home, but she spends uh-huh. a lot of time there. Ooh. I mean, she was in France when the Leadership election kicked off. So yeah, I, I mean, the thing is, she's got a phenomenally low profile. Absolutely. Most people have no idea who the hell the woman is. So we'll be interested to see. She'll be appearing on Question Time. She'll be appearing on the telly. Um, how much of a sort of presence she's got she, and how much of a backseat driver Farage she, is going to be? She was quite good. When she kind of had a higher profile, maybe it was a couple of years ago when she ran in, yeah. was it um, Eastley? She, she was on TV quite a lot and she was very good. So it might just be that when she's if she does win and comes back again, maybe will remember that she was quite good on, on TV. Well, her, also, main po- her main policy platform seems to be, I'm not going to introduce any policies. Right. Her thing is steady as she goes, you know, Brexit means Brexit, unprofessionalise the party. Whereas all the others are doing things like ban the, f- ban the full face veil, close down Islamic school, bring back the death penalty. Right. She's very much like, whoa, all right, none of that. So is that what's, just, I was going to ask you, what's this people's UKIP momentum thing well, going on? Well, you know on? how successful momentum is? Very. Yes. Well, Aaron Banks, he of lots of money and lots of time on his hands, uh, who ran Leave.eu, which was the non-designated referendum out campaign, has decided to form a kind of right-wing momentum, which he's uh, told me is going to be called the People's Movement, which sounds a bit weird. Um, Anything with people in front of it usually... Why not People's Army? Wouldn't that have been a more... Too close to UKIP. Yeah. (laughs) And he says that if Diane James isn't elected UKIP leader, the party's over. And even if Diane James is elected UKIP leader, he's still going to do this thing. And just talked to Farage about it this week. So it's going to be this kind of online pressure group. Think 38 degrees for people who want the death penalty back. (laughs) That's basically basically (laughs) what it's going to be. Hmm. But it'd be interesting to see how it complements UKIP. I mean, do we... OK, I know that obviously I talk about UKIP a lot. Sorry about our listeners. But does anybody care about UKIP anymore? Do we care? Well, do the UKIP voters care about it? That's the question. Yeah. Do all those Labour Leave voters um, in Labour heartlands up north, you know, how's Labour going to win them back? Corbyn obviously has got sort of Eurosceptic sympathies. Maybe they'll think, oh, well, he's on our side. And, you know... Especially compared to... I mean, Smith, he basically com- wants to ignore completely. the election. I mean, that's really played into Corbyn's hands. Yeah, you know, uh, but I don't, we're not sure what Corbyn's going to say about things like immigration. And we'll see whether or not, you know, uh, Diane James, steady as she goes, actually is going to still mop it up. I personally think once, you've, once Farage has left the scene... A lot of the sort of excitement is going to leave the bloodstream of UKIP uh, and UKIP voters. So I might be wrong about that. Maybe she'll professionalise it. Maybe there'll be fewer gaffes. Um, but, you know, the whole point of UKIP, it's not supposed to be like a normal party, no. is it? It's mm-hmm. supposed to be um, almost... The comparison with momentum is important. It was a sort of people's movement and it's about activism and not the establishment and not doing it by the normal rules and not political correctness. So, you know, oh, UKIP, they say stuff that no one else says. You know, you hear it all the time. Yeah. Um, um, if they lose that, don't they lose a bit of magic? I don't know. Yeah, Martha. I mean, I don't. I think I think we're just not going to see in Britain the same kind of big right wing populist movements we've seen across the rest of Europe. It's just the wind has been taken out of those sails by Brexit. Um, I mean, if they have a they have a moment where when we know what Brexit means to kind of Absolutely, come back yeah. and say that's not what we vote. That's not what everyone voted for. This is what they voted for. Um, everyone rally behind us but that totally depends on what Brexit means and we just don't know that yet Ned what do you think do you care about UKIP not really I do think you do <laughs> sorry mate you've got momentum enough today did we all lip thems <laughs> unbelievable right so um coming up next week we've got UKIP conference tomorrow we've got the Lib Dem conference you going to that Ned um you know 
We'll see. I mean, usually, the thing about party conferences is you have to apply months in advance to get media accreditation. But someone from the Lib Dems was walking around the press gallery the other day, literally goes, anybody want anybody want a ticket? I'll give you one now. Yeah, uh, did, pick a card, any it card. It was a bit like that. I mean, I think we could probably go down and blag a speech. We'll probably make out <laughs> with some sort of representative down there. Um, and then after that, we're going into full into conference season. And like I said, last week, we were doing a couple of live events. We're doing one on Monday, uh, the 26th of September in Liverpool at the Labour Conference. We're doing one on Monday, October the 3rd in Birmingham for the Tory Conference. You're welcome to come along. Details are on the website. Uh, so until next week, thanks very much. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.